Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy inspires leaders to grow their companies from startup to 40 million and beyond. And by designing world-class strategic plans and helping keeping them accountable to actually get it done. Go to 40strategy.com to learn more. Very excited to introduce our guest, Mark Bashirs, who is on a mission to educate individuals, families, and business owners on how to achieve their financial certainty by growing, protecting, and leveraging their wealth in a safe and predictable environment. He is a very successful entrepreneur, a leader, leader of a variety of industries, and owns three prospering companies in Florida. He thrives as a financial mentor and belongs to an exclusive group of top insurance professionals under the Bank on Yourself brand. He's also co-author of the number one bestseller, The Secret to Lifetime Financial Security. Mark, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Great to be here, Carl. So Mark, tell us a little bit, and I know you have got these multiple companies, and I'm, I'm intrigued by that, but your core business of what you do, give us a little bit more insight about what that is. Sure. Well, society is being conditioned to go one direction with their cash flow, their savings, and I'm the contrarian to that. What I do is I teach people how to properly own cash value, dividend paying life insurance, which will guarantee that asset to grow in a tax-free environment, but also doesn't take away any of your opportunities, which means the, the money inside these policies is liquid to you should you need it for an emergency or an opportunity. And most people don't realize there's a place to park your money that does so many living benefits for you. That's my day job. That's awesome. And so let's talk, let's talk a little bit more granular about that, right? Because it, it's it's a little bit complex, but at the same time, it's not, right? It's and it's something that most people aren't familiar with, the these type of programs. So when you talk about this concept of okay, I can get a cash value dividend, it almost feels like too good to be true, right? Of, of like mm -hmm. I can put in my tax-free, I can pull it out tax-free, it grows tax-free. Why is that the case? Is it because it's underneath insurance or or what what drives that possibility? That, it is correct. You know, we talk when you use the word insurance, what is what comes to mind immediately? A, it feels like an expense, right? Because everything else that you own in insurance, it's, a, it's for your car, your house, and it's an expense, outbound expense. Well, it's actually the opposite. And what we're talking about is something that's 200 years old. It's not even a new concept. It's just the, how do you buy it right? How do you understand it every day of how you can use it? And you're right, it does sound too good to be true. You know, you can warehouse your money, it's guaranteed to grow. Well, who gives guarantees, right? Well, to our you know, 150 year old insurance companies do that have proven track records that pay dividends every year since the day they opened. But again, when you, if you ever want to shut down a conversation on an airplane, you tell the person next to you, you sell life insurance and they'll quickly be very quiet. So society is just conditioned to run toward speculation, high rates of return, Wall Street driven products or government backed programs such as 401ks and IRAs. So if society and the herd is all going that direction, 
this little outlier of insurance, which again, the word doesn't sound right as a place to save your money, but it's been there and all of our high net worth individuals are doing it. And actually what's really interesting that most people don't know is that this is where the banking industry themselves warehouses their money. It's called bank-owned life insurance, BOLI. And if they're doing it, but not telling you to do it, then there's something wrong about that. And that's where I step in and say, wow, no one ever told me, and that made me mad. And that's what basically empowered me to set up my own company with my megaphone to say, you need to listen to this. <laughs> and that's, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's where my juices get flowing is that no one told me, which then made me mad and then excited in the same time to say, I need to share this with as many people as possible. Some may run for me with, it, with what they're learning and some actually gravitate toward me and start saying, tell me more and tell me why. And then I can obviously back it up that it actually, you know, is, is being done every day by, again, high net worth individuals, our politicians, Walt Disney himself is how he built Disney World by using his cash value dividend paying life insurance, because no bank really wanted to lend on that concept, right? It was crazy. So, but he got it done because he had this asset in his financial toolbox and the rest, the rest is history. And that's what's happened to me as well. So let, I, what I was really intrigued when we had our prep conversation a little while back, what impressed me is how you got into this. So share a little bit about that background. I believe it had a bit to do with the financial crisis, right? And and go back to that period of time where you, you were growing sure. a business. Share a little bit about that because I think that story really may resonate with a lot of people. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll start a little further back than that. You know, I was a marketing major with a golf professional back or emphasis. So I actually got out of college and went and got my PGA card and became a PGA club professional, did that for about 15 years and worked really, really hard week, weekends, nights, holidays, all that kind of stuff. And then found myself running the Southeast region for the world's largest golf course owner operator, which in the right around 2000 times got tough on that. It was a REIT. And they had to sell out to Goldman Sachs. So all of a sudden I found myself working for the big guy. Never knew I'd be working for Goldman Sachs. And there, there it was. And what was interesting about what happened to me there is I had 11 very large resorts from Hilton Head, South Carolina, all the way down to Naples, Florida. And once Goldman got involved, you know, they had a mission. They had, now they owned 300 properties and I ran the biggest region in the Southeast. And next thing you know, the mission was to sell 70% of those properties, which basically Goldman was just saying, give us our capital back and then keep the, the top producing, you know, 30% of the properties, you know, with no, no debt, no, you know, they just cash flow made total sense. But what I found myself doing is selling myself out of a job. Because next, <laughs> which was the writing was on the wall. No one ever talked about it, but it was it was clear. So it was a good time for me because it allowed me to do something I wanted to do, which was to get out in the real estate development world. I had a lot of exposure to that in the golf industry because you know the housing developments were popping up like crazy in the '90s, and I got a taste of that industry. So I went out on my own around 2002 and found a little development that I could set up in Punta Gorda, Florida, 
on the Peace River. And what it was was a, a 140 unit condominium development. And what I did is, and if you remember right around 02, 03, 04, real estate was the thing, right? That was the hottest thing going. And I actually secured the, the development. And before we broke ground, I actually pre-sold 140 units, mainly overseas to a bunch of money managers that were taking care of their high net worth individuals, a lot of celebrities, a lot of athletes and all that. And back then, everyone wanted a piece of Florida. You know, no matter where you were in the world, it was like, if we could buy a piece of Florida, that'd be great. So I pre-sold 140 units, got 35% deposits, marched into a very large bank and plopped those contracts down on the lender's desk and said, I need a loan to build this project. Here's the blueprints. And I'll be darned, he gave me the loan. I had no business in a $40 million construction loan. I had no history, no background, but back then the lender, it was the wild, wild west and lending. And now the contracts were clean. The contracts were good. The deposits were real. I get that. But they loaned me $40 million to build this project. So off I went, construction breaks ground. We get up four stories high. You know, it's now 2004 and and I'm I'm seeing the finish line. I mean, all I got to do is get the, the, keys in the door and the go to the closing table to 140 closings and my history my fate was different you know I was I I'd hit the lottery in my head and I just need to get to the finish line you know what what could go wrong well in 2004 in the summer is around September and all of a sudden a little weather event brews up in the Gulf of Mexico is called Hurricane Charlie Hurricane Charlie blows right up the Peace River direct hit into my project knocks it down. I was devastated, absolutely devastated. Now for those projects like that, you have builder's risk, which means you you have insurance. There you go again, the word insurance to put this thing back together, but we were losing time. It was hard to find resources, hard to find labor because Florida got crushed with that hurricane. And then we got back underway. I'll be darned, another hurricane called Hurricane Ivan comes across East Coast and hits us again. Not as direct, but made a mess of our our project once again. And what I was losing was confidence in Florida. All of a sudden, the Europeans were like, wow, it's Hurricane Alley over there. Why would I go to Florida? And we'd never had so many hurricanes. It was just one of those events. So they were losing a little faith of, you know, should I, should I not own that piece of Florida? And then we were losing time. You know, it just, construction's all about time. You got to get it done. And I got nervous and I went in and see my attorney about asset protection because I'd never had my back up up against the wall for a $40 million construction loan, right? And we were going down a checklist of what he thought I was or wasn't protected in. And one of his questions was, do you have any permanent life insurance, which is another word for whole life insurance? And I said, why, why are you asking me that? I'm 36 years old. What does that have to do with our meeting here? I, I was a little put off. And, and I even made a joke about it. I said, what, is the bank going to take me out if, if I can't pay? What do you, I was like, I was so confused by the question because, because again, I had no concept of whole life insurance. And he said, no, 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 no. In Florida, cash value life insurance is creditor proof in the event that your deal goes bad. So in other words, your cash in there is safe and sound. Nobody can pierce it. 
as long as you didn't commit fraud. But I was like, wow, that's interesting. So had I had had I warehoused some of my money in one of those assets, they couldn't get it. He goes, that's correct. I go, well, then why didn't you tell me that four years ago before I took out the loan? <laughs> and he, you know, it was one of those aha moments for myself, but also back to a highly paid attorney who also didn't share the concept, even though he he knew about it. So that, that just kind of made me scratch my head. We still got through our, our meeting and all that kind of stuff, but I, I walked out of there and sure enough, within the same week, I, I, I listened to a satellite radio ad you know, just driving home. And I called on the ad because it sounded really too good to be true. <laughs> like you said a, a few minutes ago. And there was a really good telemarketer on the other side who wasn't going to spill the beans about what the product was. And I, I wasn't going to hang up the phone until he told me. And I just said, look, I'm hanging up until you tell me what is the product. And he finally said it. Because again, most people run when you hear the word life insurance, but he said it, he goes, it's, it's a cash value, dividend paying whole life insurance. So I'll be darned in the same week I had heard, heard about the product. So I, so I bit, I said, sign me up for an appointment. Sure enough, I did. I met a pretty talented individual and really got an education, got, I had a lot of questions, obviously, and I got, a, you know, months worth of education. And so that's what, got me to the product. And then I went home and told it to my wife. And my wife was an executive at a major bank, a different major bank, by the way. And I said, we're doing it all wrong. And she said, I'm a finance major. I work at a bank. I've been in a bank my entire life from age 16. And you're telling me we're doing it wrong. I said, yes. She said, get out. <laughs> True story. True story. So then, so then what happened next? What, what was that next point of, of, cause here you are 2006 and we're getting closer and closer to the financial crisis of 2008, right? Yes. Right. That is exactly right. So the project really took forever to get to the finish line. And I was really concerned about the buyers and it's about 2007, we finally started closing units and we got about 90% closed which got the monkey off my back. So the project got paid, right? But the, for all those years of work, you know, it's about four and a half years of work for me where I never got a paycheck, right? Wow. And, and the remaining 10% of any development project is where the profit is. You know, that's where you, you just take the cream off the top and you, and you walk away and go do another project. Mm-hmm. And what we had sold the, original units for and what they were worth in 2007 was I couldn't give away a condo. And then 2008, you know, hit the mortgage meltdown, the crisis. I I literally had all this remaining inventory that nobody wanted. And even if I, if I, if they wanted to give me a hundred thousand dollars for it, they really didn't want it. So in other words, the profit just, just, got eroded time. I got out of the project and I got out with a huge education and I guess I wasn't supposed to hit the windfall. You know, obviously what are the odds going to hit by two hurricanes? Pretty low. So, you know, I had to put my head down and the industry of the insurance, I started studying intensely because obviously real estate was done. There was nothing left to go to. So I had to reinvent myself and the insurance product really was intriguing to me. So I spent about a year and a half 
And I even went and interviewed it myself at major insurance companies to basically not to buy their product, but I interviewed them as if I was going to come in as a new agent. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I really studied what they were telling me, you know, the people that were interviewing me. I mean, and all they saw is a guy with a really long Rolodex and that mm-hmm. I could start smiling and dialing for them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I could sense the greed glands a little bit in certain companies. Certain companies were really solid too. But again, it was, what were they, what was their product offer and what was their mission and what were they all about? Because all I was about was how come I didn't know I could have done this product versus what I did from what conventional training tells you to do right out of college. Because you know, I got out of college in 92 and what, what happened, the HR department gives me my 401k. I plow money into my 401k. My wife plow money into her 401k. And what happened between 92 and 2002? Dot-com crash, yep. 9-11. There was basically four crashes in that decade for yep. me. Yep. Yep. So, so all the money my wife put in, I put in, got hit four times. And what does everyone tell you, the professionals out there? Well, because you're so young, you got time for it to rebound, right? So what yeah. do you do? Yeah. You nod your head. Okay, good boy. And they pat you on the head, move you on that out the door. And I, So what happened from 2002 to 2012? More pain. <laughs> that's, that's all that happened. More pain, just different industries, yeah. right? Or different yeah. sectors of the market. So basically, I felt like I lost two decades of wealth potential growth. And I had no potential growth. I had nothing but pain and suffering and frustration during basically 18 years of my life. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at that and saying, there has to be a better way of where to put my money after I've worked hard to earn it. And that's where I I really, and then I stumbled on bank on yourself. And I said, I'm going to, I love what you're, you're teaching me. So I'm going to do what you're doing and I'm going to start teaching. And um, I, sure enough, I put a stake in the ground 2009 and now we have hundreds of clients uh, growing year after year. And the best part about growing this type of wealth is I never have to pick up the phone and call a client and said, well, due to that war in Ukraine, your mark, your, your asset value went down by 20%. I apologize. I never have to make that phone call. In fact, I have the, op- the, the, the fun part of saying, wow, even though the market's crashing, your asset is going up in value, just like it did last year and the year before. And so, I mean, that's just peace of mind. It's gratifying, all that kind of stuff. So, so is that, does that give you a little taste of the, the emotion I have about what you can avoid, which is downside risk? You can have guarantees, you can have tax favorability, but what's even more important to society because society is they're they're cash strapped because again they're being told put your money toward iras 401ks well to get back at those dollars you have to pay your taxes plus a 10 percent penalty if they'll even let you get back into those assets right 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 and that and that means the average household is living paycheck to paycheck So their savings is not available or available for an opportunity or an emergency. So what we were teaching our clients is build your guaranteed financial foundation first that's liquid and growing 
and in your control, because if you have money that's liquid growing in your control, it won't take away any of your future options. And that's where all of a sudden the, the paradigm shift of taking control of your dollars for your future versus giving it to someone else to hold and actually prevent you from touching it without being slapped on the wrist. And here, and here's, here's Carl, what we got to dig into. Maybe it's this call or maybe it's another call, but here's what's really, really cool about bank on yourself. When you build a cash value dividend paying life insurance policy, you can access over 90% of whatever the value of the policy is. No questions asked, have the money in your bank account five business days later, it, because you're in control of that. And now here's the coolest thing. When you borrow against your policy, it does not interrupt its guaranteed growth. And it does not interrupt how much of a dividend you're gonna be earned in your policy. So let me say that again. You can borrow out of your policy to put it into some other investment, but your original policy continues on the trajectory as if you didn't. And if you don't have an asset doing that for you right now, that's where I'm gonna encourage you to learn this secret, which isn't a secret. It's just society thinks that they're not, they don't have access to this type of, of product, but actually you do. Now, now, when you're borrowing on that money, is that, do you have to pay interest on that or is it, how does it's, that work? Yeah, it, it works great. <laughs> and here's why. So when you borrow against the policy, you do borrow at a simple interest borrowing rate. And so for all everybody listening, you, you know, the most efficient type of loan you want is a simple interest rate. Now, the way, let's say you borrowed out $10,000. 12 months later, if you've never made a loan repayment, okay, the insurance company is going to say, hey, Carl, you borrowed out 10 grand 12 months ago. It's 5% simple interest, which is based on the Moody's bond index. It moves very little, but it's right around 5%. For the last 12 years, it's been plus or minus 5%. So 12 months later goes by, if you haven't made a loan payment, which by the way, do you have a loan out there that you're not required to make monthly installments on? Most people got to make payments. Right. And if you don't make payments, they're knocking on your door and the hate mail's coming, right? And your right. credit's going down. So this is really interesting. You borrowed the money out, 12 months go by, you haven't made a payment. They'll say 5%, that's $500, right? Of interest. So you can pay that interest at that point and your loan would remain at 10,000 going into year two. Or you can let your dividend that you earned pay that $500 for you which I don't encourage, but that's getting technical. Or the most fun part is do nothing. And all they'll do is take that interest and apply it to the loan balance and move on to month 13 of the loan. No problem, no hate mail. It, and, and your original policy still grew on the whole value of your policy, even though you have 10,000 on the side, right? So who is this great for if you have that type of access to capital. One of my clients is, I have several clients in the real estate business and they flip houses. So they dip into their policy, they go buy the fixer upper, that's to buy it. Then they dip into their policy again to do the repairs, right? Six months, 12 months later, they put the uh, sign in the ground to sell the house. It sells, they sell it for more than they put into it, right? And what do they do with the proceeds of that, of the sale? They plow it back into their policy, right? Pay off the loan and the surplus, then they ex 
increase the policy value by plowing the profits in there too. So now you have access to more capital for the next flip. Right. Wash, rinse, repeat, do that over and over and over as many times as you can. But here's the, the most liberating part of that is you're not using a third party lender who has to go through underwriting and your, in your tax returns and the fees they charge you to borrow that. It's not happening. None of that happens when you have this type of asset that you can leverage. And if I recall, so one of the questions I think people have, because there's always this, people always get excited about the upside of a market investment, right? Oh, this year I got 8%, this year I got 12% yeah. in a really big year, right? I got, I hit it in the bottom, I got to the top, I got 40% return, just as an yeah. example, right? They don't, rarely do we talk about the times when our market went down 20%, 30%, 5%, 8%. We don't talk about the downside because over time, right? So to speak, there's going to be a certain return. Over time in these products, what's the over time return typically people would expect from that? Sure. And this is where I run the numbers for each household of here's what you're doing. And here's maybe where you're going to get to based on the what the market tells you the average daily or average rate of return is going to be, which by the way, that word average rate of return is notoriously false. And we can get into that another time, but with a policy, it's going to, everyone wants a straight line answer, but in a life insurance product, it's not on a straight line. It's on a curve based on your current age and your current health rating to the age 121. And in day one, it's not going to show you a return. Because A, the insurance company had to put a life insurance death benefit as if what happens to you, they have to pay out X dollars to your beneficiaries, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to adjust for the cost of insurance on the front end. And with these policies, there's going to be a break-even point. So in other words, what I mean by that is the money you put in will match the cash value of the policy. And that's going to be somewhere between between depending on many variables between year five and 10, okay? But at some point between year five and 10, the money you've put in will match your cash value. So let's just say it is year seven. So how, what was your rate of return between day one and year seven? Well, you, you got to break even. So you didn't make any money yet, right? <laughs> but you do have a life insurance contract, hypothetically, say a million dollars, is which is part of your estate you know that death benefit is definitely part of your estate so what did the cost of insurance if you have all your money back and you still have a million dollars of coverage what was the cost of insurance well everyone wants to say nothing but that's not the right answer because it was really it was patience and time to know that your cash would catch up to what you put in then from that point until the day you die you're always gonna be profitable inside this policy, okay? And when you get to that point, it's gonna be improving over four, four and a half percent every year, tax-free, which right now you can't get 4% anywhere, right? right. You can't, can't put your money anywhere and get a guaranteed rate of anything. So what is that, you know, if it's tax-free, then what does that really relate to of if it were in a taxable arena? Well, now you're really talking about six and a half percent, right? Right. But what, what I would be able to prove out is that down the road, when you need this money in your retirement years and the money's coming out tax-free, 
we can run all kinds of equations, but it's it's going to feel like nine and a half percent as if you were in a taxable arena. Okay, mm-hmm. if to match what the policy is going to provide for for you. Now, the biggest difference between now and those retirement years with most people is volatility. You're not going to see any volatility in this arena. And you're going to see all kinds of volatility in every other arena, right? And, you know, here we are today still at the kind of the, the pinnacle of the longest running bull rally, right? And the steepest increase in the markets. What's, what say you, you know, is it going to keep going up or is there going to be a correction? I don't have the answer. But here's what I can tell you, because of the, the way my wife and I changed our ways, we've been able to capitalize on every major crash since 2010 to current. Because, and case in point, COVID, 2020. Markets went down 40%, right? Mm-hmm. Wall Street. Wall Street went down 40%. Yeah. Now, there's still some great companies in, in, in Wall Street, right? Great blue chip companies. And they were on sale by 40%. Yeah. Well, I know I don't have to tell you, but I guess, I guess I have to. You know, my clients reached into their policies, borrowed out X dollars that they were comfortable with, bought some blue chips at 40% off. And what happened? Went about, went about quickly. <laughs> quickly yeah, which, which which nobody, even, you know, my clients and I all agreed, you know, we, it may take three, four, five years for these companies to get back to normal. You know, we, we hadn't been through a pandemic. We didn't know, but what happened was, was fantastic. They, they went back to normal within, you know, within a year's time. How much money did my clients make and their original policy values continued to grow and they bought blue chip stocks at a 40% off. And that's what we're able to help households do without taking unnecessary risk because who needs the risk? Let's just buy right. Yeah. 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 So, so and, and we're going to get people an opportunity to be able to connect with you, Mark. I think some of your other stories of the, what, the, what this has enabled you to do that we haven't talked much about since you've been able to do this, you've been able to create, been an entrepreneur, you've been able to be an entrepreneur as a result of you creating this business. I mean, you, you talked about you had your kind of first life, right, as a golf professional, and then, you know, working through that part, and then you transferred to try to get into real estate, and it didn't really work, right? So then right. you moved over into this part, and it has gone really well, but so well, you've actually been able to use the benefits of what you've done to actually create separate businesses. Just real briefly talk about a couple of these other businesses that you've been able to do because of the freedom, yeah. so to speak, that you've created as a result of it. Yeah. I, I, it's endless, by the way, what you can accomplish with capital. It's Because it, if you have capital at your access, it's really down to you and your creativity and your imagination of what, what you can accomplish. So as I was licking my wounds from the 2008 crash, my wife and I repositioned our assets into these whole life policies. We said, we're done getting hammered in every, in every market we were in, we lost. And we always felt cash strapped, you know, working hard, good living, but cash strapped for doing other entrepreneurial things. 
So by making the, doing what I was told not to do by my CPA, which is reposition certain assets, pay your taxes on those assets. And I got out and they were like, why do you want to pay all those taxes? I said, because I want my cash in a place where I know it's going to grow and it's liquid if I need it. That's all it is to it. And I'm going to pay my taxes now. And I'm not telling everyone on this call to go do that. Of course. But I'm telling you, that's what I did. So there's my disclaimer. That's what I did. So I plowed all this money into policies. I just could sleep at night that I wasn't going to see it go down again. And in my region, I'm on the southwest corner of Florida. If you remember the oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, right? The horizon. Yeah. So we have oil in the water in the west coast of Florida. What does it do? It crushes tourism on the west coast of Florida. It crushes businesses. It, it, the, whole, the whole state was being devastated. And so there's this little hotel and waterfront restaurant on Fort Myers Beach area, if you're familiar with Fort Myers. It sits right on the Gulf and the bay side overlooking Estero Bay. And the original developer was just devastated by this. You know, obviously couldn't rent a room, couldn't sell a hamburger. You know, it just... It's tourism. And the price of that property just continued to drop year, day after day after day after day after day. And a friend of mine called me and said, hey, you understand the hospitality business. Let's, uh, let's take a shot at this. Now, mind you, there's oil in the water, right? So uh, I'm like, you're crazy. Absolutely crazy. I, why would I want to be part of that and all the challenges ahead and such and such? And, and by the way, what bank would even lend on a, on a business right. venture? You know, right. it, they'd laugh you out of compliance and, and underwriting. And mm -hmm. so, so long story short is the price went down so severely. It was, I mean, when I say on sale, it was on sale. Now, where would you have, where would you get the money to do it? Lenders aren't going to lend. You'd have to go you know, out there and raise private capital or dip into your, your wallet. Well, because I had repositioned, out of qualified plans and things like that, I had access to capital. My buddy had access to capital and we bought this, this hotel and waterfront restaurant on a massive discount. Well, oil got cleaned up, right? And this was, we closed in 2011, uh, summer of 2011. Oil got cleaned up by then, right, right around then. And tourism came back and the, the hotel started filling up again. We modernized the restaurant and next thing you know we you know 10 what are we now 12 years 10 12 years later we have a thriving business and i only could have accomplished that by having access to my capital out of my life insurance policy right just like walt disney did yeah <laughs> just a much smaller scale <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah and you've also you you have a, a sports don't you have like a sports yeah. business as well that you've created what remind yeah, me so, of what that is yes yeah, so i just i'm we're an athletic family let's say that I have a son that plays baseball at duke and my daughter plays volleyball at emory so I guess out of a weak moment of my kids leaving the, the house, I had to stay somehow connected to sports and, and kids. And so I opened up an indoor baseball, softball training center here in Fort Myers. And it's the happiest place in town. You know, I get to go over there and watch the families go through what I went through, raising your kids up through athletics and just go over there and just, just stay connected to the community and, and obviously help a lot of families there 
get them set up with this type of asset in their portfolios. And they're fascinated by it because it's a great way to pay for college. Mm. Start, start saving now inside these vehicles, right? And then when you go to college time, you can borrow out of the policies to pay for your tuition. But you also have already built an, the engine, right? You started this when your kids are you know, elementary grade. And by the time your kids get out of college, remember, they get more powerful each and every day that you own it. So by the time they get out of college, you know, you got something that's really looking good and you paid for college. And by the way, for those out there, when you fill out your FAFSA forms for college, remember, this is your life insurance is a private contract between you and the insurance company. So this is not an asset that needs to be disclosed on those FAFSA forms, which will improve your odds for grants and such for your college educations. So another little strategy there that people didn't tell me. <laughs> right, right. Okay. This is, we're getting near the, the, near the end of our time, Mark. And this has been, I think, great information. Two quick things. We'll to try to be quick with our, our final questions or kind of go bang, bang, bang. How do you measure success in your business today? Well, I, I look at it as there's 52 weeks out of the year. And if I can help 52 families a year, then I've really accomplished something. You know, because obviously the, the education takes time. This isn't some, you don't just walk in, buy it and walk out. There's a lot of things we have to understand as a household and how to manage your cash flow, and then how to leverage these policies. So I, I spend a lot of time with my, my clients. So it's not like I can take on 100 clients a year because I'd run out of oxygen. <laughs> so my measurement is, is if I can help a family a week, then I've, I've done my duty. And I know what happens from that because they tell their families mm -hmm. and they come marching in too. So my, it, it's, but 52, that's my number, 52 awesome. families a year. We're north of that, but as long as I get that, I'm happy. That's awesome. All right. Personal side. And obviously you mentioned you, you know, your family, a family in sports. Congratulations for that. For them to play college athletics, you mentioned your wife and different things on a personal side, how have you created the habits in your life? Cause you, you obviously are a busy person with, with all the different aspects of what's been taking place. What type of habits have you created on, on a daily or regular basis that have been able to help you keep on top of your game? The best habit is the follow-up by me staying connected to my client. It's not like we, we get you set up and I disappear because I know you're going to have more questions because I know the questions I went through for myself to get set up and to do it right and to be an honest borrower because that, that's a key part of this. You know, when you borrow from your policy, you're wearing both hats. You're the lender and the borrower. The, the policy is just the source of capital in the middle. So you got to be an honest borrower. So you can't just go buy everything and never pay yourself back. You won't, you won't accomplish the end game. So the follow-up is, is the best habit that I have. So I have a, a system, you know, 90, 90 days out. And then we always do six month full reviews and then annual reviews. And that, if, as long as I'm doing the follow-up, then my, my clients, or my herd of clients are always staying on track. And obviously things in their life changes. Mm -hmm. You know, there's job change. There's a lot of good news, bad news things. So the follow-up is what's made my practice successful because right. we we're, we build on what we've already started. All right. What's a book that you'd recommend? Not one of your own books, so to speak, but what, what's a book that has really 
transpired you or changed you that you'd recommend for our audience? I'd like start with why by Simon Sinek, I believe yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. It just, it, if you ask that question every day, you'll, you'll, you'll go the right direction. You know, don't chase the shiny objects and things like that. Just stick, stick with why you're doing what you're doing and, and get after it. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, how can people learn more about you, Mark? Well, it's, it's real simple. It's book with Mark. You can go to any of your web browsers out there and just type in book with Mark. And by the way, Mark with a C. So that's key there. So book with Mark with a C.com and you'll go right to my calendar. I'll see you there and we'll have a, a fun conversation and do a little financial MRI and then show you the numbers, your numbers specific to your household, show you where, what you can accomplish. Perfect. Mark, thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate you sharing all your insights and your wisdom and your uh, tough experiences that you had as well. Again, but it's great to see you on the other side of how well and how you're now making a difference in other people's lives. So thank you so Mark for being on the Measure Success Podcast. That was my pleasure. You're, you did a great job. Thank you. And to everyone else who's listening today, wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.